So what is the image of God when faced with injustices, especially in personal encounters? When people with abundant privilege, choice, and power meet someone who suffers because they have fewer or no choices, and the difference between those people is random qualities we receive at birth, gender, race, and culture. The woman in Mark's passage, who is likely not much older than I am, resonates with my experiences in West Africa working, working for Doctors Without Border, otherwise known as MSF, Médicins Sans Frontières. I can relate to her, the woman in the passage as a woman with a common medical condition, but her suffering was exacerbated by a lack of choices. She likely had the common medical condition known as menorrhagia, excessive prolonged monthly bleeds, I see that frequently as in my family medicine clinics. And even with the choices we have in the Western medicine, the suffering of that condition involves fatigue, interferes with intimate relations, usually causes infertility, and of course requires a lot of additional daily hygiene practices. All of those elements would have been compounded for a woman in the first century, a woman with few choices and little power. But then she encounters Jesus. Her healing came from the empowerment obtained through her bold move in actively touching him. He did not actively heal her. It was she who took the action. Someone who was suffering audaciously and courageously took some of Jesus' power to address her own suffering. And it's actually Jesus' response that I have thought about this week. Taking something from someone who has more power than you is a bit risky, as we just heard, she was trembling with fear as to how he might respond. But Jesus responded with the pride of a parent or teacher seeing their child or student be bold, making a choice and being empowered. A selfless parent or teacher who delights in sharing their own privileges with their child or student because that indicates their child is going to be okay, their student is going to thrive. The gospel story speaks of Jesus' healing good power. But when I encountered suffering in West Africa, I struggled with my birthright privilege of abundant choice and felt conflicted about the imbalance of power in my favor. Privilege is defined as a special right or advantage granted or available only to a particular person or group. Privilege creates an imbalance of power between those with advantages and those without. I was born with more privilege than probably most humans have ever had, a daughter of white, many generational Americans who are successful baby boomers. Even my gender was no disadvantaged in the early 1990s in California where gender and sexuality were fluid topics at my high school. So I don't think it's surprising that I ended up volunteering for MSF an organization that's guided by the principles of aiding those in distress, those who suffer. Humanitarian aid work is about people with privilege of choices encountering those who suffer because of little or no choice. The excellent Nigerian author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie writes about how gross world inequities economically and politically disenfranchise people and what that feels like, the disempowering feeling of choicelessness. That is the suffering I'm going to just focus on for the rest of uh, my talk. The suffering caused explicitly because of the disadvantages of inequity, which underpinned the suffering I saw in West Africa. Where is God in this incredible injustice? 
In 2007, I was working in a children's clinic where malnutrition was the focus because of the recent civil war in Ivory Coast. Some children were not responding to our treatment, and we then suspected that the war had also spread the life-threatening condition of HIV and AIDS. I met women like me who were also made in the image of God, but they had got the short end of the power stick, and I had the longer end. I got to know these children and their mothers through daily morning meetings in the clinic. Despite our vast differences in in experiences and existence, we shared small moments of daily connection. The mum on the front of your worship order had a sense of humor and a confidence that meant she had little reserve in connecting with me, even though I was a foreigner. She was happy to comment on the outfit I was wearing, chide me if I was late or pat my knee. She laughed when her son peed on my lap and explained it was good luck um, and handed me a cloth cloth to soak up the pee. This contrasted with others who might be more inclined to apologize and rush to take the child away, suggesting that maybe I might mind. I loved this particular woman's willingness to share a bit of herself and her humor with me. And I think she, she knew that. Because her her child was not getting better quickly, I got to know her um, her and her her son better than others. I learned she was the third wife of a farmer, that she was really worried about all the time she was with us and wasn't pulling her weight back in the fields with the other wives and worried about the consequences that would have on her and her only child. But she was desperately torn because her son, about two years old, had never spoken yet or even crawled. She got looks from the other wives and people in her village. Her village required taking a bus and several hours of walking to get to, so she rarely had the income for that voyage. The suffering of that existence with so little choice was profound. And remember, remember, she was one of dozens of such women I met. Then there was the power and privilege of my knowledge gained through my abundant privilege. I knew that this child wasn't getting better probably because he had HIV, and that also meant this mom, the the woman I was getting to know, probably had it too. A choice was needed. Should the test be done to prove whether or not this mother and child had, and by default, an entire family had HIV and AIDS? I attempted what I'd been trained to do, a conversation about informed consent. I asked her whether we could perform a test for HIV on her and her child. But did she understand? I was having this conversation with a woman who'd likely never been asked for her permission to do anything, much less, um, uh, much like the woman in the gospel reading. And now the first time she's being asked for permission, it is about whether to find out if she has something horrible that she might be ostracized for. To make matters more challenging, the World Health Organization's guidelines in 2007 stipulated that I I should not offer this choice to diagnose HIV if I could not provide definitive antiretroviral treatment, which um, at that time I couldn't. We, We had access to preliminary treatments. The alternative was to simply start those other treatments without knowing whether the child had HIV. So effectively to treat on presumed diagnosis and not to have this difficult conversation. I pray that God was with me in that room when I asked this woman whether she consented to an HIV test or not. With all the conflict of ethics, I struggled with the complexities of choice I had from my privileged knowledge and met with uh, someone who had really never had much choice and delivered even news of even more suffering. In a strange, well-intentioned, foreign way, I told myself I was offering the choice of knowledge. I still don't know whether that was the right thing to do. 
I know we finally settled on an approach to manage the children whom we eventually diagnosed with HIV, um, despite the hurdles of getting definitive treatment. I had the joy in seeing several children, including the little boy on the front um, of the order of worship, transform in weeks from weak, quiet, immobile forms to rambunctious toddlers not dissimilar to the one that was crying earlier. You can see his cheeky smile wearing my hat on the front of the worship order. But I struggle with what happened in my conversations with those women in that room. My only way to reconcile this experience is to have faith that God was there. There was perhaps, that was perhaps the rawest image of God I will have the honor of experiencing. As a doctor, I take an oath to first do no harm, and I'm not entirely sure I succeeded. Their suffering was abundantly clear. My white-skinned privilege could be seen a mile away. Where was God for her in that moment of receiving that bad news? I was blessed to feel deep compassion. I hope that woman, in that moment of suffering, sorry, I hope that they experienced some relief through the compassion. Perhaps there was a relief in knowing why their child is not improving. Maybe there was relief in um, sharing this revelation with a foreigner who had information to offer that might provide choices. Perhaps there was relief in sharing the event with someone who is not part of the social network where HIV stigma prevailed. We, be- we began the treatment that we could, including educating the women on avenues to pursue when we left to access ongoing treatment. I pray that my role did not increase their suffering. So, this church always has this effect on people, by the way. Every, there's lots of people who cry in this church. <laughs> anyway, I wish my story was one of a clear transfer of the power of my privileges being taken from me to cure the sufferings of others, as with the story of Jesus and the woman with menorrhagia. But, of course, I'm not Jesus, and none of us are. I can but hope that somehow, like the gospel story, I was a vehicle of power, that through no action of my own, the woman received some form of empowerment from me. How I pray that this occurred. I have previously understood this gospel story to be one of the power of faith healing. I've enjoyed the additional perspective of the passage portraying God's delight and power being shared. In a, in a fitting analogy, Kent pointed out that when blood is donated, the blood donor quickly replenishes their own supply, while their donated blood delivers the power of healing to others. Spiritual and healing power are limitless. We lose nothing when we share that kind of power with others. God's power is limitless. It is our human traits that lock power up as privilege for some and not others. When we encounter the injustices that surround us every day, perhaps we can consider what power we have through the privileges we acquire at birth and rejoice in sharing this to empower others and so expand overall power to all of us as children of God. So perhaps take stock of the privileges you have and consider what power you have that can empower someone else. Perhaps this is through volunteer work or social justice work or financial donations or perhaps teaching a skill to someone voluntarily or using your consumer power to ethically buy, to buy ethically produced products. Then, as Jesus taught us, rejoice when your power empowers somebody else. That is when God's power is truly expanding. Thank you.